0: one through twenty. Luke three, one through twenty. This is the coming of John the Baptist, the messenger before the Christ. Hear the word of the Lord. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Etria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. The word of the Lord came, word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison." The word of the Lord. Well, uh, as you often have seen me in the morning, I usually come in with my fruit shake, uh, which has a variety of different uh, tasty fruits and kale and other things. I didn't have time to make my fruit shake, so but I did have time to gather the fruits. I couldn't mix them, so I thought I'd bring them and give a, a very short tutorial on the variety of fruits that I put in my fruit shake. Okay, we have your Your common denominators like the mango. Okay, anyone seen a mango tree? It's beautiful, beautiful tree. Here you go, young man, just kidding. We have, uh, sometimes I'll throw some coconut in there. Coconut, very deadly tree by the way. Okay, don't walk under a coconut tree. You're gonna get taken out. I think it's it's either here or getting a a vending machine uh, thrown on you. I can't exactly remember which one is higher. Um, I also like to use the star fruit. Anyone a fan of the star fruit? Did you know that the star fruit, the tree of the star fruit is designed like a star? That's a total lie. It's a total fabrication. It's not true. Nonetheless, the star fruit. Papaya, if I get upset at my children, I huck one of these at them. They will stop talking and we can eat our breakfast in silence. The kiwi comes from a fuzzy tree. Fuzzy tree kiwi, it's delicious. And then finally, my favorite when it's in season, the Asian pear. It's a very bashful uh, fruit, by the way. It has a little skirt, you know. It's very, you know, hey, I'm an Asian pear. Look at me, look at me. Uh, A little bit of a stuck up fruit. Uh, I throw that all together and I I blend myself up a fruit smoothie and it's fantastic. Uh, And I uh, recommend that you do the same. So astounding when you walk through the produce aisle of how many different types of fruits that there are out there. Now the fruit says a lot about the tree. Tree and the fruit are inexorably connected. You know you'll never ever see a news release that comes out that says something like this. We've never seen this before but this apple tree all of a sudden started producing oranges. Amazing. We don't know what happened. Never happened in the history of the world. It never will because the fruit is tied to the tree. The apple tree produces apples. That's why it's called an apple tree. There's an integrity to what's inside and what's outside. You look at trees and you know I look at some of them and I'm like I don't, I have no idea what that tree is. But when it's in season it's easy isn't it? That's an apple tree it's full of apples. The word fruit is used in a variety of contexts, though isn't it? Not just produce. We talk about the fruited plain, right? The produce of the earth. We talk about the fruit of one's life. Do they lead a fruitful life or do they lead a barren life? Fruit essentially is what you bear. And this passage is all about fruit and it's all about people. You see our deeds are connected to our heart in the same way the fruit of a tree is connected to the tree itself. See, the problem with the world is this, that we bear bad fruit. If that is true and uh, the deeds of people are connected to their hearts, then when we look around in the earth and we see all the war and the poverty and the hatred and all of these things, we have to conclude one uh, thing, that something is wrong with the heart of man. be easy to point my finger around the world, but I have to take a look in the mirror myself to examine what is the fruit that I am bearing. And that forces me to look into my heart. All too often the fruit of our actions on this earth is death. The question is this, I want to change but I can't seem to. I seem to continue to bear the same fruit again and again and again. I sure would like to be an Asian pear tree. But I seem to end up being this tree again and again. How can mankind change? The beauty of this passage is that God is coming and the gospel is all about God's ability to change you into the person that God has called you to be. And so God comes to bring the hope of the gospel. But God also comes to bring the magnifying glass of the gospel. Jesus says, do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. He's come so that the hearts of many will be revealed. The message of the gospel is hope that God can turn people from being enemies into sons of God. From those who live evil lives to those who live holy lives. To those who deserve wrath, to those who merit praise. And so we, like the people that John the Baptist is talking to, must respond to this message. Repentance by faith. Producing fruit that is in accordance An external change validating an internal result. A repentant heart, my friends, will result in a holy life. And so I want you to think about this passage, not as a spectator, but rather that John the Baptist, through his words, through my preaching, is coming to you today and giving the same message, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. The king is coming and the king has come. What will he find when he comes to your door? And so John's message for us is simply this. Number one, we have to prepare for his coming. Christ doesn't walk by us. He walks to us. We must prepare. Number two, if we are followers of Christ, we must bear fruit in keeping with repentance. We must reveal on the outside who we are. But Christianity is not simply doing, it's being. And so my final point is this, we must be Christians, not do Christianity. An outwardly changed life is the sign of an inwardly changed heart. Well, let's look at this passage. Let's look at the first point, prepare for His coming. In verse one we see this long list of a variety of different leaders in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar and it goes on and goes on to talk about these tetrarchs, these people that own uh, a fourth of the kingdom or are in charge of it. You know the reason why I bring up this particular section is I want you to understand something that the Word of God, the message of God, the gospel is firmly rooted in history. I'm not here to give you advice. I'm here to tell you about something that has happened. The word of God has come. It's entered into our world. You know, this is a profoundly historical passage that's validated by the Jewish historian, the ancient historian, Josephus. All these people were alive at a certain time. These things did not take place in a corner. And it says, A word from God came to John the Baptist. Now when we think of the word, we usually think of the word logos. But this isn't the word Logos. It's the word Rhema. So a better way to think of it is not the word came, but rather a word came. A specific word. A specific message came. And I want to suggest to you that it was a message planned long ago. Implanted in the word that is coming to fruition at this time. And John, the receiver of the message, the messenger says we went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of of sins. John was a crazy character, by the way, if you went and saw him. You know, he wore this this, uh, coat of kind of like a a skin, if you will, of an animal and and a belt and he ate locusts and wild honey. One of those guys like right out of the Old Testament, you know, a little bit wild. And he starts Proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now we think about baptism and it's very common for us. uh, We baptize our children and so forth. But this was not a common ritual that was done back in that time. In fact, there really were only two types of baptism that we could see going on in the Jewish community. The first was if a Gentile was a proselyte, wanted to become a Jew, be included... That there would be a baptism of him after he went through all the necessary steps. It was a symbol of kind of induction into the community. The other one was dealing with some of the more uh, zealous and rigorous sects of Judaism. The Essenes, I don't know if you've heard of them. They were like ultra-Jewish. And they would baptize themselves. It was a ritual like a purification or a cleaning, if you will. Much like we take a bath, it was a religious bath. John the Baptist wasn't doing either of these things rather it was a baptism of repentance. This word repentance in the Greek metanoia is the word. Change of mind. Change of attitude. The definition a good one is to change one's way of life as the result of a complete change of thought and attitude in regard to sin and righteousness. The word in Hebrew is shuv, to turn. See this again and again in the Old Testament, like Josiah. Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his mind. And so John is going and he's giving this baptism, a washing, signifying, a turning from sin to holiness. For the result being a forgiveness of sins. You see that? Proclaiming a baptism of repentance, a turning of the heart for the forgiveness of sins. The result being harmony and peace with God. It's very interesting that John the Baptist was baptizing in the Jordan River. The very place where he was baptizing is where the Israelites crossed. Remember a people that God took and led to a place where he would give them rest? Remember the first time the Israelites under Moses, right? They refused to cross. They refused to obey. They turned back. And yet under Joshua, they did cross. They were baptized in a sense, obeying. John the Baptist is doing the same sort of thing. He's saying, you're going in the wrong direction. Turn and repent of your sin. Change your attitude in mind and your life for the forgiveness of sins. This message that John received came long ago didn't it? As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah a voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord make his path straight every valley shall be filled and every mountain shall be brought low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places will become level and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The messenger has been activated. Now the question we have to ask is this where, what is this way we are to prepare? Prepare the way of the Lord. We still do it now in our various cultures you know when a, a king is coming Back then or in a, in a country that is poor. If, the, if uh, uh, one of the Secretary of State of the United States came. They would prepare the way from, for him. They would go ahead if the, if the road was rough. And there was rubble on it. They would clean it. They did it back then if a king was coming. They wanted to welcome the king. And so they would do whatever they had to. To try to make an easy path for him to get to them. Because that would signify that they wanted his presence. But if the path was too hard, the king would go around and he would not come. He would pass them by. But John is saying, prepare the way of the Lord. The Lord is coming. He's not going to go around. So you must prepare the way. It's a command, not an option. How will you receive him? By building a highway or building a barricade? Where is he coming? Every valley shall be filled and every mountain shall be brought low. I want to suggest to you that the path the king is walking on is your heart. Because this language about valleys and about mountains and about crooked and straight is about morality. It's about your heart. Remember Mary's prayer in Luke? He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. And he has exalted those of humble estate. He's brought those people down who are up in the mountain. And yet he's lifted up those who are low in the valley. Crooked and straight. We even still use those words, don't we? Oh, that's a crooked person. Or he's a straight shooter. Rough and level. See, God is saying through John the Baptist, prepare your heart. Prepare the way of the Lord to come to you. Because He most certainly is coming. Prepare, my friends, means to get ready. Because all flesh will see the salvation of God. You are the path. Are you getting ready? My wife is a, a Taylor Swift Uh, She has a little bit of a crush on Taylor Swift. I didn't uh, get the clearance to uh, tell you that, so I'm going to get it when I get home. But it's true. You know, I mean, the truth is your friend. And Taylor Swift loves her fans. It's pretty cool. She does all these crazy things, like she sends gifts, other stuff. Well, this was a pretty neat thing that happened in November uh, where Stephanie Barnett and her son got a pint-sized Mercedes. But it wasn't the present that was Sending both the mother and son into shock. It was the delivery person, Taylor Swift. Barnett, Stephanie Barnett is a huge Taylor Swift super fan. Okay? And so she is, was constantly on Facebook talking up Taylor Swift. Well, Taylor Swift somehow got a hold of this. And she said, you know what? I'm going to pay a visit to this gal. So she stopped off at FAO Schwartz. Much like we do. When we're going to go get a nice gift. Whether it be a Super Bowl or a Mercedes. uh, And she showed up on her door. And she spent a couple hours. And uh, there's a video of of this gal. uh, When Taylor Swift shows up. And she you know it's like she swooned. You know the angel of the Lord came. And she became as a dead person. For Taylor Swift had come into her midst. I mean, who would have thought that someone as popular and cool and beautiful, someone that she idolized, would come and pay a visit specifically to her? Now, what if Taylor Swift came and the message that she thought she was going to get from Stephanie Barnett was exactly that, but it was totally different? No one home. Don't have time for you. Thanks, but no thanks. I'm busy. No, I can assure you Stephanie made a highway to her heart because Taylor Swift was willing to come. See John the Baptist is saying to you not Taylor Swift but the King of the universe is coming. What is your heart toward him? Are you looking to receive him? Are you hoping that he's going to come knocking at your door? Are you erecting barricade after barricade? Is your mountain so high that there's no way He can get up to you? No, but if your valley is so low, if you have a humble heart, if you're open to the visit, Christ dwells with the humble and lowly in heart. Are you a crooked person? And every single one of us is Zacchaeus, truth be told. Carlos, I'm coming to stay at your house tonight. Really? Will you receive me or not? The rough will become level. Is there any house that's too far away for this king? Any person who's too rough? Any history that's too bad? No. The messenger is telling us that the king is coming. So my friends, if the path is to your door, what are you doing to prepare it? See, you're preparing a path for something in your life. I don't know what it is. You're constantly maintaining this landscaped entrance. Maybe it's success. I'll do everything I can to make sure if success drives by it's going to come to my door. And so I shape my life in such a way that success has to hit me. I work long hours. I neglect people. I may neglect my health. I may neglect the important things in life because the only thing that is important to me is success coming to my door. Maybe it's comfort. Maybe it's the love of another person. Maybe it's significance. I don't know what it is. But you see the King is coming for you. And so you must make your highway personal for God. You must make a decision what path you will give into your heart. You may have to make some road renovations if the kingdom, king is coming. If you want the king, you may have to get off of your high horse. If you want the king, you may have to lift up your head and believe that he might come to your door. I'll tell you some things you don't have to do. You don't have to have your act together for the king to come. You may be rough, but he's the one that makes the path level. He's the one that makes the path straight. This is a question of your heart. Prepare the path for the king is coming. This brings me to my second point. That we must bear fruit to illustrate our heart receiving the king. Notice in verse 7, he says, Therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to the come to come. Now I'm scratching my head, if he's saying this to the crowd, you brood of vipers who warned you to come. Well, I'd be saying, well you warned me to come. Now he's not talking to all of the crowd. Indeed he's actually, if you look at other places, in this, this passage is in a couple other gospels. He's saying it to the Pharisees. He's saying it to the teachers of the law. In fact, he's, he's saying it to everyone who does not think or want a visit from the king. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come. In other words, this king who's coming, is coming to set things right. And you can't stop him. But these people are being imposters. They're coming out, they're doing the religious thing, you know. I mean, John the Baptist, yeah, okay, he's, you know, he's got the eye of the people. And so I will go out and I will be baptized as well. I'll be repentant, at least on the outside. John the Baptist says, "Uh uh-uh. We're not talking about religion here, people. Who warns you to flee? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, if you really are repentant, if you are really coming for this baptism... You will produce something, fruit in your life, that is in keeping with your heart. See, your fruit, your actions, is a symptom of what is going on inside of you. So religion is not good enough. What we are looking to see is righteousness. Don't say that Abraham is your father. Just because you're Jewish. Just because you've been in church all of your life. Just because you know all of the rituals and things to do, that is not enough. For even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Do you sense the urgency and immediacy of what John the Baptist is saying? Never heard Jesus referred to as an axe. But it is saying that, isn't it? It's at the root the King has come. Don't forget that Christ is the King. And He made us. We are His subjects. Well, I don't believe that. Well, good luck to you. How's that working out for you? The King has come. And the Christ has come to bring division. He will refine His people with the, like a refiner with His soap. Every tree that does not bear fruit I love that it says every tree, that it says that instead of every tree that is not bearing fruit. It says every tree that does not bear fruit. In other words, hear my message. Everyone who does not respond to my message. It's not everyone, I'm I'm coming to do an inspection. Your parents ever come and do an inspection? You know, have you done what you're supposed to do? You know, here we go. And we're saying, I come to bring you a message. Change your heart, repent. Back further a little bit down it says in many ways he exhorted and preached the gospel to people. You know I I read this and I go gosh this doesn't sound like good news. This is like get your act together stuff. No it's so much greater than that. Because Christ is infinitely more interested in your heart than your behavior. But he understands something that we all innately understand that those two are tied together. A changed heart will result in a changed life. So prepare your hearts. Bear fruit. What exactly is the fruit of a repentant heart anyways? Kind of a silly question. I think we get it. But the Bible spells it out pretty clearly. Galatians 5.22 The fruit of a heart that follows after God shows love. Shows joy. Joy. It's not really happiness, but contentment. Peace. Kindness to other people. Patience with their failings. Goodness in the decisions that they make, in the actions that they take. Faithfulness to who they're called to be and what they're called to do. Self-control. These are the fruits, the works manifesting out of a God-centered life. The crowds listen, look in verse 10, this is the right answer by the way. If you're wondering where do I go with with all this? And the crowds asked him what then shall we do? What are we supposed to do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. John doesn't say you need to sell your house and move to Cambodia and be a missionary. He says, write in your world, write in your context, bear fruit, love your neighbor, show practical service. Well the tax collectors, what, what about us? What are we supposed to do? Collect no more than you are authorized to do. In other words, when you get up and you go to work and you have the opportunity to do the right thing, show integrity, not greed. Do the right thing. What about the soldiers? What should we do? Don't extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be content with your wages. In other words, the influence that you've been given over other people, the power that you have, use it to bless and not to curse, to serve and not to rule. Now if you notice all of these things, in their particular context, the common denominator is other people showing love. At the end of the day, to love God and to love others is the fulfillment of the law. But what John the Baptist is saying as he's speaking to them is speaking to you. What is your context? Where do you live? I don't know if you saw the, the news that uh, Pope Francis went to the Philippines and he preached in Manila to a crowd of I think it was about six million people. And the Manila, the government of Manila, you know, they wanted to put their best face forward for the Pope. And so what they did was they rounded up all of the street children, as young as five, and they put them in detention centers, alongside adult criminals. They got them off the street, so to speak, because they didn't want to uh, to show the Pope, you know, these these kids. It, it would be bad for our image. It would look bad. And so we're just going to sweep the problem and we're going to put it underneath. And the Pope comes and it's beautiful and there's celebration and there's cheering. And yet there's this hideous crime hidden under the surface. You brood vipers. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Be authentic. Don't have it all together. But have a heart that is open to God's power coming into your life to change you. See guys, we need a gut check in our life. Are we doing the same thing? Do I say I love God, but I hate my neighbor? I turn away as he walks by. I'm not interested in his problems. I'm not willing to enter into his life. I'm not saying everybody. We can't know everybody. I say I love God. How do I treat my kids? Am I good to them? Am I kind to them? Am I patient to them? How do I speak to my husband? How do I speak to my wife? How do I speak to my boss? How do I speak to myself? See, Christ is saying, John is saying, prepare your hearts. If you're open to His coming, He will come in. And your life will bear fruit in all sorts of ways. But John says, don't fool yourself. And so we must examine our own hearts. What is the fruit that we bear? Because our religion and our life must be one in the same. Judgment comes not from your actions, but your belief of the gospel. Your actions are simply the evidence that's uh, presented the outside to show the inside. An outwardly changed life is the sign of an inwardly changed heart. The king has come, so have you prepared your heart? And what are you manifesting? This brings me to my final point. Be a Christian. Don't do Christianity. It says as the people were in expectation as they heard John questioning whether he might be the Christ. Judd said, no, I'm not. I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. I baptize you with the water of repentance, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. As I listen to John the Baptist, I'm overwhelmed. Because I look at my life, and I look at the strength I have to live it. And I see the darkness in my life. And I ask the question, how can I change? I need more than water. I need repentance, but I need the power and presence of God Himself to change me. The message of the gospel is the one who comes after will baptize with the Holy Spirit. That when He comes to your door, if He finds an open heart, He will fill it with Himself. And the reason you will live a changed life is because you are a changed person. He will take the junk in your life and the dirt and the mess and He will throw out things and He will replace them and restore them. I don't need new resolve and I don't need new rules. I need a new life. The question for me is not, do you, for you, is do you have it all together? The question is, do you honestly understand that you're falling apart and you need a Savior? What you need is a repentant heart, a trust in Jesus Christ, that His Holy Spirit can fill you, and a willingness to step out in faith, to love when you have no love. Because when you love when you have no love, depending on Christ, you will have love. When you want to be good, when you have no goodness, if you trust in Christ, you will have good. If you want to be the person that God has called you to be, you can't, but He can. Christ is in the business of making you, you. And so you and I are all on the banks of the Jordan River today. The messenger has spoken, but the message has come. Christ has come and He comes even now. Have you opened your heart to Him? Look at your life. What is the fruit? Am I fooling myself? Or am I willing to bow the knee, to trust in Christ, to step out in faith? Christ came to bring us victory. Not to make us good people, to make us alive people. And if we live this way, the way that he commands us to live, and promises to support us and empower us to live, we will change the world. People are not looking for religion, they're looking for transformed lives. You want to reach the world? Reach yourself. And love the cashier when you walk into the gas station. And be patient with your child. And buy some flowers for your wife love love covers all sins an outwardly changed life is the sign of an inwardly changed heart if Christ has changed you on the inside you will be different on the outside by God's grace open your doors and welcome the Savior and give him free reign of the house make him the master of it. Let's pray. Why would you come to such a ramshackle, dilapidated, busted, beat up shed with no value, condemned? Why would you be willing to come to my house and to sit in my world and life and refurbish and restore and dwell in it? Who could understand that God? God, The gospel is beyond us. But we thank you for the message of John, the slap across the face, wake up. Lord, you are the king, you are the ax. And you show mercy and graciousness and love to those who open their doors to your coming. Lord, but judgment will come to the house that turns you away. By God's grace, Lord, change us on the inside that we may manifest your holiness and goodness and how we live and how we love, starting with those closest to us, extending to the world around us. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.